The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was relationships, and Robbie Gallaty of Replicate led a track called Creating and Sustaining a Disciple Making Movement. Have you signed up for the next National Disciple Making Forum? Every year, disciple makers from across the country and around the world gather together in one place to learn disciple making. Save your seat and register now. You can find a registration link at discipleship.org. At checkout, use promo code PODCAST to get 20% off your tickets. Now here's today's track session. All right, good afternoon. My name is Gus Hernandez, and I'm the spiritual formation pastor at Long Hollow Baptist Church, just on the other side of Nashville in the northeast corner in a city called Hendersonville, Tennessee. I've been there three years. Uh, Prior to that, I was serving at Christ Fellowship in Miami, Florida, and uh, absolutely love that. I'm originally from Miami, Florida, born and raised, did my studying in in, uh, college in, in the state of Tennessee at a small private university, then did some master's work there. Now I'm studying at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary doing a doctoral project there and so excited to be here this afternoon with you guys excited about this topic just to make sure you guys are in the right session we're gonna be talking about discipling your staff and so that's the content we'll do some teaching on the front end then I want to open it up for some Q&A on the back end and what I'm doing with my Q&A is that we're gonna open up for Q&A not just specifically to talk about discipling your staff But since I'm one of the last ones doing the Replicate track, if you have other questions about how we do discipleship through the Replicate Ministries model or the model at Long Hollow Baptist Church, I'd love to be able to help answer any questions regarding life groups and D groups and some of our resources. So, all right, we're going to get started. And the topic, discipling your staff. Here's the first thing I want to share with you guys is the need for why we have this topic. And it starts off with a personal story for me. I've served in in different church staffs. I love the staff that I'm currently a part of, but I went through a season at a previous church that just led me to a point where I was on the brink of burnout. And it was a plethora of different things from, you know, lack of healthy boundaries to unrealistic expectations to no input from senior leadership. All these different factors weighed in. and, And to be honest, you know, I just felt like I was in an environment where nobody on staff really cared about me as a person. They only cared about what I was producing as a minister. And one thing I've come to realize throughout my reflection on my past and how I went through this very difficult season where I got to the brink of burnout, that I started thinking about this concept. I want you to write down this introductory point. Leadership styles and organizations affect the health of your church team. So your leadership style, the way that you structure your organization, the way you structure your church, your nonprofit ministry, all of this is going to affect the health of your staff. And what I've done is I want to give you a visual that's kind of helped me think through what is my role as a leader. Like when I'm leading people, you know, what's the balance between my level of relationship and my level of control with their productivity and what they do in ministry? So I want you guys to write this simple chart down. If you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to do so. It's kind of going to have an X and Y axis here. And this vertical line, we're going to label relationships. And then this horizontal line, you're going to label control. And what you're going to see is on the very top of the relationship, write warm. So right here, write warm. And then right here, cold on the bottom. Warm and cold. And then in control, write high and low. And here's what I couldn't realize. When you're leading people, your leadership style, if you are low level of control, but you have a really warm relationship with them, in essence, instead of being their leader, you're really more like their friend. And so you have a great dynamic working relationship. You love interacting with them. You follow up with all really good things. But when you're so distant and you give them all this sort of freedom, you have no way to speak into how they're doing anything you're really just going to be seen as a friend to them and not really a leader. On the other side, if you have no relationship with them and you're extremely cold and you have low level of influence, then we would say that you're actually a distant leader. You're disengaged. It's like you've just completely left your church staff, your ministry staff to run on their own, 
You don't pursue a relationship with them. Your relationship can be described as cold toward them. You see them outside of the cordial. You have to say hi to each other in an office ministry setting or at your church functions. There's really no intentional pursuit of this person. Over here in this quadrant, when you have a high level of control, like you want to be involved in everything that this person does, but you don't take the time to build a relationship with them, you come across as a domineering leader. A domineering leader. I've served for this person. And I got to tell you, it, it drove me nuts. It was so difficult. And, and I want to caution, there may be some of you in here, as we start going through this, you may start analyzing your relationship with some of your staff. And you may find yourself in one of these different quadrants. I'm not teaching this you know, to beat anyone up. I just want to show you that the way you lead your organization will affect the health of your organization. And if you want all this control in a person's ministry without investing in them personally, you're just going to come across as a domineering leader. And the scripture has so much to share with us about Jesus' leadership structure and Jesus' expectations on leadership. When you get to Mark 10, 45, what does that great verse tell us about Jesus' view? What does he say in Mark 10, 45? The Son of Man came not to what? Be served, but to but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ himself, the Lord of the universe. Colossians tells us he was the very agent by which creation came into being, entered his own creation as the author of life, and didn't expect to be served, but humbled himself and served others. If our Lord and Savior, our Messiah, shows us that the best way to impact others is not through domineering, but through service, shouldn't we also exhibit that in our organizations? And yet I've seen so many spiritual leaders do the complete opposite when it comes to leading their teams. Where they lead more from a dictatorial position of being a dominator, you know, somebody that just completely controls them. When later on in that chapter, Jesus teaches his disciples, you as leaders should not be like the Gentile leaders who love to lord over their people. You get to 1 Peter 5, and Peter, when he's passing the mantle on to the church leaders, the next generation of elders reminds them, hey, don't lord over God's people, but shepherd them willingly. And he reminds them the posture they should be taking. And so we get to this, where you have a warm relationship with your staff, but you're not disengaged and disconnected from what you're doing. You want to be involved. This right here is what I call an influencer. This is an influential leader. And I think this is where some people get confused because they think, man, I don't want to be a micromanager. So you think that you shouldn't have a high level of control. Don't miss this. We're not saying that you should be a micromanager, but when you have relational capital with your people, it earns you the right to speak into how they do what they do. And they're more apt to listen to suggestions, ideas, comments, and feedback because they're putting all of your comments into the context of a healthy relationship. And this is where we want to live as church leaders. When we're investing in our staff and we're leading our people, we want to live in this quadrant where we're pursuing intentional relationships with the people that we serve with. But we want to be involved in how they lead and what they do. So we don't want to be a distant leader that's completely like, man, hey, I'm trusting you, which is code word for like, man, I really don't have time to invest in you. I'm trusting you. I'm not going to micromanage you. I just want you to do your best, right? But you have no feedback. You're completely disengaged, and you have no relationship with them. That's just the leader being lazy and hiding under the fact that we're not being micromanagers, right? On the flip side, you can end up being a micromanager thinking that you're influencing, but really you're just trying to dominate the conversation. You're trying to have your way all the time, and you're not open to reciprocal feedback, which we'll get to later on in our talk today. And so real quick, as we transition, here's what I want you to do. I want you to see we're going to cover three points, and I apologize for the size of this whiteboard. We're going to try our best to keep it up. So here you go. Here are your three points for those that like taking notes. And I don't have time to fill in. We'll do some filling at the bottom. But those are your three basic points. The first one is this. Your, your church staff needs shepherding. Your church staff needs shepherding. In my years of doing consulting work with Replicate and visiting and speaking at many churches, it baffles me to see how many church staff members I encounter that are struggling 
that are in the midst of dying on the vine and nobody in the organization knows what's happening. And I think we can get so passionate about doing ministry to target our congregations, our ministry audience, that we lose sight of the people who are in the trenches with us doing spiritual warfare, battling the enemy as we're trying to advance the gospel. And what I want us to realize is that the very people we serve with, including you, needs shepherding. Like every single one of us needs shepherding. I call it the great paradox of church leadership, that the shepherds are also sheep that need to be shepherded. And just because we're spiritually nurturing for others doesn't make us immune to the need to be shepherded ourselves. And it's going to require some creativity. It's going to require mutual accountability, mutual shepherding, mutual love, care, and affection. But we have to remember that every single person in our organization, every single person on our church staff is still a sheep in need of a shepherd. And we need to be pointing ourselves back to Jesus Christ, our chief shepherd, but we need each other. I mean, there are so many stats we can sit here to prove this case. I mean, I can give you some that I looked up. 70% of pastors do not have someone they consider to be a close friend on staff or in their church. Just think about that for a second. 70% of pastors openly admit they don't have a true close friend in their ministry context. 80% of pastors believe that pastoral ministry affects their families in a negative way. 80% of pastors surveyed say that ministry in some form or fashion affects their family in a negative way. 45% of pastors say they experience depression or burnout. And you can just keep going on and on. There's so many different statistics, but what it shows you is we're always going to be under attack. It's nothing new. And we desperately need each other as a ministry staff. We, we understand the battle is real. And we understand that the enemy would love nothing more than to get us to fall to devour us, and we need each other. And it blows my mind, to be honest, that we can serve trying to accomplish gospel work, advancing God's kingdom, and not enjoy the ride with the people that we're ministering with. Like, how can you get to serve in a place and do it for several years and get to the position where you wouldn't consider those brothers and sisters close friends? It shows you something is flawed in how we do church leadership. Something is very flawed in how we treat each other as a staff. Like, I'm grateful that right now where I serve, I would say that the leadership team I serve with are my closest friends. And we spend a lot of time together outside the office and when we're in the office. And we truly love and care for each other. They are some of my closest friends in the entire world. And I absolutely love going to work because I love the people I work with. We get to cultivate that environment. And so I'll tell you, back to the story, when I was struggling through the season of burnout and I was on the brink of just really just crashing, I knew God was redirecting me to go somewhere else to an organization that understood the importance of a healthy team and healthy leadership, and I was frustrated where I was at. I, I get a phone call from Robbie, who's one of my close friends. I served with him for six years prior to going to this different ministry, and he asked me to come back uh, to the state of Tennessee because he was about to go be the pastor at Long Hollow and wanted me to come join his leadership team there. And I said, all right, I will go if you make me one promise. And I, I, I kind of said it jokingly because I already knew how he led me previously when I served with him and I absolutely loved how he was my leader. I said, when we go to this megachurch, you have to promise me that we can restructure the megachurch to show that we can disciple and love and care for our staff. And let us create a culture where we truly love and engage the people that serve on this team. And he says, brother, that's exactly what I've always done. And you know that's what I want you to help me do. So help me create that culture. And so I said, all right, I'm in. Let's go. And so what I want to do is just kind of help you see some of the things that we do to help disciple our staff. Point number two is not only do we know that staff members need shepherding, we know they need a plan for spiritual growth. Your church staff needs a plan for spiritual growth. Point number two. And so here's what we did. We examined the existing structures of our meeting rhythms and cadence. And then we started to think, how can we repurpose our existing structures to actually cultivate spiritual growth? And so we realized there were a couple things that the church consistently did throughout the week and on a monthly basis 
where all the staff people would get together and we first observed what it was that the church was doing in those environments and how we can tweak it and change it for spiritual growth. So we took our weekly ministers and managers meeting. So everyone that was ordained in the church would meet every single week for about an hour and a half to two hours, and they'd go over the weekend numbers. So they'd look at, you know, the spreadsheet that talked about here are the attendance and all the age-graded ministries. Here was the weekend worship service attendance. Here's how many people were in life groups this week, and, and on and on and on. And then if anyone had any business they wanted to bring up in that meeting, they'd share. It's your typical church staff meeting. So here's what we did. Something drastic. We said, you guys know how to read, right? Everybody's like, yeah. We get this report emailed to us every week, right? They're like, yeah, read it on your own time. <laughs> There's no point in sitting here. It's like, kids ministry, how many did you have this week? Pressing the same box you can read if you wanted to, 250. Awesome, sweet. Hey, high school kids, it's right there. So what can we do better with an hour and a half if we're going to get all of our ministers and managers together? Well, here's what we started doing. We openly started to build relationships with each other. We moved to sitting around tables in a room instead of just all in rows like this. And at the tables, hey, share some highs and lows from your week. What was a high point? What's something you can celebrate with a few of the staff members around you? And then openly share what's been a difficult low point in your week. What's something that's been tough for you to process and handle? And just spend a few minutes and talk about it. And then we started doing an organized reading plan as a staff throughout the whole year. We started reading through the Bible together. And each week when we'd get to that staff meeting, we'd say, all right, I want you to share some of the content from your time with God with the people around you. Who has something from their HEAR journal, which is something we teach through Replicate. It's highlight, explain, apply, response. We teach people to read the scriptures, highlight the verse that stood out to them, explain it in two to three sentences, apply it personally in three to four sentences, and then write a response to God, a one-step action, action step, or it could be a prayer they write out to God. So, hey, share one of your HEAR journals with a few of the ministers at your table. Like, what is God speaking to you? And we always do a how, a, a what-how combination. What is God teaching you through the scriptures, and how is it affecting your life? So we'll go beyond just like hiding behind content because you're a pastor and know a lot of stuff, to wrestling with, okay, this is what God taught me in the Word, and this is how it's affecting my, my life right now. This is what I'm doing with it. And then from there, we transition into just sharing insights about the church. And so, man, what are some things that we need to know from the people that we're shepherding? And that becomes a very pastoral moment. That's where we get to just bring up some of the things that we've noticed based on the different pockets that we serve in. It leads to a, a beautiful time where we pray together. You know, based on the needs that are evident from our congregation, based on some of the highs and lows that we talked about earlier in that room, it just naturally leads for us to be able to pray together. And then depending on how much time we have, we can brainstorm and, and think about the future and ideate. But that's really what we've done is every week, we've in essence modeled for them what we want them to do in what we call a discipleship group with a few church members. But we brought those same disciplines into our staff meeting. Where we spend time in the Word where we'll just get in a staff meeting, we'll just read Scripture. And we're going to just spend some significant times praying as a staff. And not where you just take prayer requests the whole staff meeting and then pray for one minute at the close but legit break up into teams and just pray. Another thing we did is we started memorizing scripture as a staff. So we got in there and we memorized Ephesians chapter one and Ephesians chapter two as a staff. And every week we'd show up to staff and we'd add two verses, add two verses and you'd find a partner and you'd quote them to a partner in the room. And then at the end of one of the chapters, we'd pick a random person, just quote the whole chapter in front of the entire group. And we'd just go crazy celebrating. It was amazing. But see, what we started doing is we started refocusing our attention away from um, some of these goals where people wrap up their identity in performance. And we restarted really teaching our people that their identity is already secure in Jesus Christ. So, I mean, we're, we're, not, we're not shepherds of spreadsheets. We're shepherds of people. And, and you transition that, and that affects the whole culture and the whole DNA of your staff. We no longer were judging somebody's worth based on how many people showed up to an event. We're going to do feedback later. I'll show you how we gauge ministry success and some of those things later. But I wanted my staff to realize that I care about you as a disciple of Jesus first. You're one of God's sheep, and He's placed you on this team to be shepherded and to help us shepherd the people of Long Hall. And so I need to make sure you're healthy before you can help us shepherd our people. And I don't want you to sit here wrestling with where is your identity? Is it wrapped up in performance? Is it wrapped up in how many people showed up to VBS? Is it wrapped up in how many kids came to dodgeball? Is it wrapped up in all these different things? No, your identity rests firmly secure in Jesus Christ. 
you minister from that position, from that posture. And we started really emphasizing the importance of spiritual disciplines as a team. Then we meet once a month with every single person in our organization, from custodians all the way up to the leadership team. We have a breakfast once a month, and we do the same thing for ministers and managers, almost exactly the same in that large setting, where we open up with, does anyone have anything to celebrate and praise? Does anyone have an urgent prayer request that we need to be aware of as a staff? It's led to us praying over people on our staff who get some really difficult diagnosis um, from the doctor's office. It's led to us praying for people's marriages to be restored. It's beautiful. And then we celebrate birthdays real big in that environment. We celebrate anniversaries, and we go all out for those people and really just make a big deal out of it. But it shows us the health, a fun environment where we love to do it. But there's nothing like grabbing some breakfast together once a month, everybody. And that's where Pastor also gets to share one of his here journals with all staff and just share with them what he's learning. Step three. So we've seen your church staff needs shepherding. We've seen that your church staff needs a plan for spiritual growth. Number three, your church staff needs to be a healthy team. Your church staff needs to be a healthy team. And there's two things we're going to look at to help establish a healthy team. The first one is build trust. Build trust. There's this book I want to highly commend to you guys, written by Patrick Lencioni. It's called The Advantage. And in this whole book, what he's trying to describe is an organization that has leverage or has an advantage over another organization is an organization that has a healthy leadership team or a healthy network of teams. And he says the key essential for developing a healthy team is trust. He goes, everything is built on trust. He's like, when the people who work for you truly trust you, it paves the road for true health to occur. When they don't trust you, it's really hard to build a healthy team. And so he gives different practical things we can't go into. But one thing that he says helps foster a culture of trust is developing true loyalty. And so here's a simple example. We, to each other as a staff, make this commitment. We are going to be militantly loyal to each other. This does not exclude that if someone's truly in the wrong, that we just don't address it because we're loyal to them. That's not what that means. But here's what it does mean. At some point, anyone who serves in church world or nonprofit ministry world is going to have a complaint against a coworker. Anyone been there? Am I just the only person that ever fields an angry church member with a complaint? Here's what we do. We promise never to just immediately side with the angry church member and throw our teammate under the bus and just, man, I can't believe that person dropped the ball. Now he's terrible. What a, what a loser. And it's like, I'll get on that, Miss Susie. You got it. I, thank you for that complaint. We first say, man, I, I hear your concern. Thank you for feeling comfortable enough to come share that concern. What you're sharing does not seem consistent with what I know of my brother Mike. But I will take that concern, and I'm going to go meet with him, and I'm also going to encourage you to be able to share this concern with Mike and me in the room at the same time. Is that something that would be okay with you? And I, I'm not dismissing my church member, but I'm not automatically, just because of a complaint, rolling my team member under the bus. And so it's just even in how you respond to an angry church, but we've just had to deal with this again recently, where it's going to be a consistent answer from all of us. Like, okay. And here's the thing. As a leader, I'm going to want to verify those facts. Is If what she is saying is true, then I, it's a coaching opportunity with a team member. All right. After I go find out, whoa, okay, maybe she was right. And she was just really upset about something that he did drop the ball on. But it's going to lead to a one-on-one, -on -one, hey, man, this complaint was brought to me. I want to follow up with you. If it turns out that she misinterpreted information and he wasn't wrong, then it helps me go back to that church member and explain the situation with Mike, the person she complained about, right? It's all in how you handle that. But when your, ch when your church staff sees how you handle complaints, they're going to see that you truly are loyal to them. But when they see and hear that you just threw them under the bus and you didn't stand up for them, that you just, because of a complaint, you know, just shrank in fear and just to get this angry church member off of you or this person who's complaining about your nonprofit ministry off of you, you just side with them to get them away. They don't see that as a leader worth following. They see that as cowardice. They see it as someone who doesn't truly love them and care for them, but someone who just wants to withdraw from conflict for the sake of just saving time. And so what we say is we're going to be militantly loyal to each other because we want to trust each other. And if someone gets angry at a ministry objective I implement just because it doesn't go along with their preference, 
You can't throw me under the bus just because they complain. But you got to help that person understand that we're a family as a staff, that our character is known well by each other because we spend a lot of time with each other, and that their complaint is inconsistent with what you know about me. But let's go talk to that person together and see if what you're saying is true. And so how we handle conflict is either going to help build trust or it's going to help break down trust. But trust is absolutely essential. The second thing that he says is essential for building a healthy team is building a feedback culture. Building a feedback. I love this. Patrick Lencioni says it this way. If people don't weigh in, it's hard for them to buy in. If people don't ever get to weigh in, it's hard for them to buy in. So one of the things that I do as a leadership team member is I'm constantly asking for feedback from my support staff and the people that serve on my teams. If I've got an idea, if I've got a a ministry objective, I'm brainstorming, I'm thinking about implement, I'm bringing in my team to process it with them instead of coming up with the decision by myself in isolation, slapping it on top of my team and say, make it happen. Because if they don't ever get to weigh into shaping this, molding it, asking questions, it's really hard for them to be all bought into it. But a lot of leaders lead in isolation. They come up with their ministry plan by themselves. They go off and they come up with this and they come back, present a completely done plan to a team that's had no opportunity to speak into it, no opportunity to give feedback about it. And then they wonder why, as leaders, their plans aren't being bought and, and implemented as they envision. It's because they never let people speak into it. So one of the ways that we develop a healthy team is everything we do as a leadership team, we run by our ministers and managers. We run by our support staff. Hey, we're thinking about this objective as a church. Here's what we've brainstormed and thought of. How would you guys tweak this? How would you make this better? Do you foresee any obstacles that we may encounter if we go down this road? We need you to speak into it. Give me your thoughts. And and here's what we do when we're asking for feedback is we make sure that people understand our feedback mantra. You can write this phrase. We say this at the start of every feedback meeting that we host. Feedback is meant to be helpful, not hurtful. Feedback is meant to be helpful, not hurtful. I'll say it. I'll make my team say it. We'll say it again. And we say that often. Almost every single week we're reciting this. Feedback is meant to be helpful, not hurtful. Here's what it does. It changes how you give feedback, and it changes how you receive feedback. When you have a team that's shepherding each other, spending time in the Word, praying for each other, every single week we're in the Word together. Every single week I'm praying with staff members. When we have implemented a plan of spiritual growth that leads to us building trust, when it's my opportunity to speak truth into your life, you're not getting into a defense mode and blocking off this insight because I've broken down that barrier because you know I love you because I care for you as an individual, because we've spent time in my office praying, because we've spent time reading scriptures together. When I'm coming with you with an insight, it's, it's easier to receive when you know that you trust me and you know that I've been loyal to you. And so for us, we want to build a feedback culture where we're constantly asking our people for feedback and then we're also giving our people feedback. And since it's coming from the posture, hey, I'm giving you this feedback, not because I want to crush your dreams, not because I want to make you feel bad. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help build you up. Like, I'm giving you insights. I'm giving you some corrective instruction because I actually want to help you get better as a minister of the gospel. And when it's from that position and that posture, it does amazing things for your team. And and one of the things that we've learned is this has to be modeled from the top down. And so what I love, I serve on staff with Robbie Gallaty. Every single week on Monday, we meet to go over the Sunday sermon. In fact, he's actually receiving feedback. He preaches three services on Sunday morning. He's getting feedback from me and two other pastors in between every service. So as soon as he gets off the platform and you know, goes to the Next Steps room, has met with church members, in that break between the 8 o'clock and the 9.30 service, we're meeting with him for a few brief minutes to say, Hey, man, uh, man, I think that illustration just bombed. You probably shouldn't do that in the second service. Man, I know you love that joke, but it's flat. Or man, you said this phrase, it wasn't in your sermon manuscript. I'm not sure it's consistent with what you're trying to say. I would try not to say that phrase in the second service. But he's the one who built that team and asked staff members to critique his messages. And then we do it as a leadership team on Monday morning. Hey, one thing to keep, one thing to work on from Sunday's message. Pastor, I loved how you did this. The way you connected here was fantastic. 
One thing to work on is maybe work on a clear transition from points two to three. You kind of lost us on that journey, whatever it is. But he, as the senior pastor, is asking every week for us as a staff to speak into his preaching, to speak into his delivery, to speak into any emails, the sermon manuscript to every minister and manager on Thursday before he preaches on the upcoming Sunday so we can read it and offer any suggestions via email before he ever gets up to preach. So our senior pastor is modeling feedback for the entire organization. So there's not a single person who can serve on our staff who says, hey, I'm outside the realm. I'm outside the bounds of the need for feedback. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, our senior preaching pastor is constantly asking for feedback. I don't care if you're teaching our kids ministry or preaching in the student service. You should strive to receive feedback. And then we as support staff and team members should strive to give constructive, helpful feedback that's not hurtful. And so this whole feedback loop is essential for us developing a healthy staff and a healthy culture. And so just in recap, your church staff needs shepherding. They need a plan for spiritual growth and they need to be a healthy team. I want to give you some practical things I've done. These are kind of outside the box, but has made a huge difference in caring for the souls of the people on my team. I implemented this year what's called a PRD, Personal Reflection Day. Now, different organizations can offer them at different times. I offer it monthly for the people that serve on my team. Some organizations don't feel comfortable with that. You can offer it quarterly if that makes you feel better. But here's what I make my team do. I don't make them do this. This is optional. I make it an, an availability. So they can sign up to take one personal reflection day a month, which is a paid day of work, where they're not allowed to come to the office, but they're not allowed to stay home either. They have to go do something life-giving in the community or out in nature. If it's going for a hike, go for a hike. If it's going to your favorite coffee shop to get your favorite coffee drink, do that. But here are the requirements. In your personal reflection day, you have to at least carve out some time to read the scriptures for an extended period of time. You've got to journal your thoughts, reflect on your spiritual life and your work, reflect on your family, reflect on key relationships. All right? Then they've got to spend some time in prayer. And then there's the life-giving part of it. It's something fun in nature. They've got to do something like that. And then the final requirement is if they sign up to take a PRD, they can't take the PRD until they have followed up and scheduled a follow-up appointment with me to process their PRD. So that means, hey, Lori's going to take a PRD this month. She's already scheduled a follow-up time to meet with me for 30 minutes in my office, just one-on-one to hear, hey, during this day of personal reflection, what did God show you? How's your life? How's your marriage doing? You know, how do you feel like you're producing here at the work? Like, are you feeling like you're in your lane? Are you thriving? Are you struggling with your job? What is it? And then my favorite question is, how can I lead you better as a pastor of this church? As a staff member on my team, how can I lead you better? And this is one-on-one right there in the office after they've had time to reflect on how they're doing as a person. How can I lead you better? I got to tell you, more tears have been shed in my office more transparency has occurred this past year than any previous year, all because I gave my team members one day that was a paid work day where all I wanted them to do is worry about themselves. Go spend time in prayer. Go spend time reading God's word, but journal your thoughts. And then process your thoughts with someone who loves you and cares for you. And then how can I lead you better based on what God is leading you to do? It's led for a few team members to come back and say, man, I love serving with you, but I feel like God has wired me to do a different ministry. And it led me to affirm that and say, you know what? I've been working with you for over two years now, and I feel like God has wired you to be an incredible asset to a different team, but I never wanted to force that. I wanted you to get to that spot where I knew God was calling you into a different spot of ministry. And it's helped a person just be able to process that, man, I like what I'm doing, but I feel like I would love if I could serve in this capacity. Man, I want you to be able to do what God is calling you to do, not force you to fit the mold of what I need you to do. And so care more about the individual than the project. And that's huge. And so for me, the PRD has been a key facet. And we've done them. This is now going to be our second full year. I know I said one year. This is year two of us doing that. It's been phenomenal practice for that. So, all right. At this time, we're going to transition to some Q&A on building, discipling your staff. Any questions that you guys have? 
And then after we do that for a few minutes, then we've got time to open it up for other questions. Yeah, we've done this in a couple church staff. So I'll give you a funny story from the first time we did this at, so three churches ago. Um, we had one of our music guys quit because he said his job description did not require memorizing scripture. And so we gladly accepted that re uh, resignation. So like, wait, so as a music minister, you don't feel like it's important to memorize scripture. Okay, if that's your big objection to this, there's probably another great church that would love for you to sit there and never spend time with God's word and lead them in worship. Awesome. Um, yeah, so, but here at this church, what, what we encountered was the complete opposite. It's like they were starving for spiritual growth, but didn't know how to disconnect their identities from ministry productivity. Like they had just had a hard time not being able to talk about their ministry and all the stats from the weekend when we just wanted to talk about scripture and God's word and what we want our people to become. You start with a different end in mind. So that's a question we ask. If, if you guys are thinking through ministry planning, we start with the end in mind. What do I want my people to become? So what do we want the people of Long Hollow to become? You figure out what that is, and then you back up from there and ask yourself, how are we going to make that happen? And a lot of times we have all these ideas and things we want, but they're all running in different directions and different purposes. So we want every person to know God, find community, make disciples, change the world. It's our fourfold pathway. So then how are we going to help people engage in those environments to produce a change the world disciple that's going to be on mission for Jesus Christ? Well, it's going to affect what we do. It's also going to affect what we cut, what we don't do. And so for us, we start asking our staff, okay, what do we want our staff to become? Well, we want them to be equippers of the saints. Well, we've realized a lot of our staff was just doing all the work of the ministry and not equipping and empowering anybody to do ministry. All right, well, that's a coaching opportunity. We need them to be disciple makers and equippers and not just doing the work of the ministry. So then that helped us think through our, 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 our path and plan for the year. But I would say the one kickback was just they just didn't know how to disengage their identities from the weekend numbers. And we had to redefine ministry success for them. So that was in the current context. The, the previous one was they just got so used to doing their weekly regimen, they hated the fact that they had to do spiritual disciplines. Which, I mean, you put two and two together. You serve on a church staff as a minister, and you don't like being held accountable to scripture reading, prayer, and memorization. Should you be serving as a pastor? <laughs> That's the better question, right? You hold mm -hmm. accountable that, like, yeah, that's a great question. So the question was, you know, as we're trying to implement a disciple-making culture and you want to roll out discipleship groups to your whole church, do you start with the staff and do you make them do D groups before unveiling this? This is a great question. What we did is the first year we really focused on teaching our staff the core essentials of what a healthy discipleship group is and then modeled those disciplines every week in our staff meeting and taught them discipleship for several months before we ever went public with a D group strategy because we wanted our leaders to buy into the culture first. But then as we went down this road, we started asking them, hey, what in your week can you repurpose so that you're not adding to your week? So we, we do the simple joke, like how many of you guys eat lunch? How many of you have breakfast? And all the guys and girls in the room are like, oh yeah, we eat lunch every week. Perfect. Pick one lunch and repurpose it to be your D group lunch. So I was driving to downtown Nashville meeting with an architect, a graphic designer, and uh, an associate executive director. And we would meet downtown in one of the guys' skyscrapers conference room. So I would take my lunch break. I would make the drive. So those three guys just had to walk to each other's building. And we'd meet in an executive conference room and bring our own lunch. But if I can get three professionals from downtown Nashville to carve out some lunch, I could definitely get a pastor and minister or support staff member who creates their own schedule anyways to carve out time to meet for lunch and do spiritual discipline. So we'd say don't add another day to your week or another night away from your family. Repurpose an already existing event. So for me it's every Wednesday I have lunch with my discipleship group and we do an hour and 15 minutes, sometimes an hour and a half depending on the flexibility of those guys. Sometimes it's just an hour. You know, so right now I've got an oil investor and a graphic designer, videographer. So those are the guys that I'm pouring into now. In the past, I've had different professions. The tricky one for me was when I had some educators, and so we would choose early mornings before school. And that was not fun because I'm not a morning per person, but 
For the sake of the gospel, for a year I was a morning person one day a week. <laughs> 6 a.m., Cracker Barrel, awesome. I hate this, <laughs> you know, whatever. And so you just find stuff that just helps fit into the rhythm of your life without drawing away from your family. But I would say disciple your staff first. Get them to buy into the vision. Because remember, if they can't weigh in, they won't buy in. So, hey, what are you guys experiencing? How is this affecting your daily walk? And what we started seeing is after months of having a clear Bible reading structure, teaching them how to hear journal, getting them into the Word to memorize it, getting them to pray for each other as a staff, they said, I feel so refreshed and I, I finally feel like what I thought it would feel like to serve in church. So then you turn the question, do you think our people would benefit from having this in their life? Yeah. Awesome. Let me tell you what we're going to do for that. And then you explain that because they've bought in. They understand it. They tweak it. They help you speak into it. Great question. What's another question? Man, I love that question. Uh, one is because I feel like sometimes men can overcorrect and go to different extremes with it. And so I want to I be so transparent. I love the fact that you asked that question because here's what I want to say. The women in your church staff are still sheep that need to be shepherded. Like, Jesus doesn't call us to shepherd a male-only congregation. You shepherd the flock, which includes male and female, you know, congregation members. And so, as a pastor, when you look at your support staff and you, your team that serves with you, like I have a women's minister, I have somebody else who works with discipleship, I have a team that's split. So, I have six men and six women that serve on the spiritual formation team. I can't just focus on investing in the six dudes and just completely neglect the six women that serve for me. But what happens is a lot of guys will hear the horror stories and the difficult things that can happen, which I don't want to minimize sin or the power of temptation, so don't hear what I'm not saying. But we can't just automatically cast a certain lens over a complete half of our congregation just because of their gender and negate our responsibility to provide spiritual oversight and care for this person just because they're female. And so for me, what I do is practice healthy standards. I still meet with them one-on-one, -on -one, but my office door has a window and my admin's right outside the window. I would never meet in a, in a spot that would cast doubt on my church staff member or me. And that's mostly because I don't want anyone to ever think something of my team member or me. But it's not automatically that if I'm hanging out and having a conversation with a church, what do you think is going on between them two? Like, we should never think that. Like, when they're talking about the word. <laughs> I mean... Like I was saying, one lady on my team has struggled uh, with infertility. And I know her husband well. And I want to be a pastor that prays for her and allows her space to come into my office and cry when she's having a tough time. When somebody celebrates getting pregnant, she can't. And the fact that she feels comfortable enough to sit down across my conference table, grab a tissue, and just start weeping because of how she's struggling today at work, makes me feel like I'm succeeding as a shepherd that she felt the need to open the door and say, can I just have a few minutes to pray and process my feelings? Absolutely. You should. And same for guys, you know. Guys don't have anyone asking them tough questions, usually. And they definitely don't have them processing life decisions and peeling back the layers, but we've got to. If we don't do it, who's going to do it? And so for me, I think you should invest in your female staff as intensely as you do with your male staff with wisdom. Right? Don't do anything stupid. Don't, don't automatically objectify women. I think that's a big error, error that's come up with male leadership is that we automatically just think that because they're female, all these things are going to happen automatically if I get into a one-on-one -on -one meeting. That's not true. And then honestly, I, I say some jokes with it. Most of you guys aren't that good looking anyways. You know, like They don't automatically want to be with you just because you're a dude. You know, like, it's just stupid stuff, but I think you should care for them and don't neglect them. I, I've talked to a lot of women who served on staff who feel neglected and feel on the outside. They don't feel like anyone really cares for them, and they have to go try to find it somewhere else. I want to schedule enough meetings with all my staff, so if I'm meeting with my men's pastor, I'm having a, a meeting with my women's minister as well. If I'm meeting with my college pastor, I'm meeting with my executive admin as well. You know, and I want to make sure, so everyone gets a once a month, one-on-one -on -one with me, no matter what. And that 30-minute meeting is just, how are you doing? What's God teaching you? And how can I lead you better? How can I pray for you? 30 minutes, every single staff member. And that's how I keep it even. So I have 12 people, so there's 12 30-minute meetings once a month that I have purely for the sake of personal health and personal spiritual growth. Not work-related. So even though they try to go down that road, like, no, 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 no. We have work-related meetings. This 30-minute meeting is just, how are you doing? 
Like, what's going on with your family? How's your wife, Mike? You know, how are your kids? Are you spending enough time at home with your kids? Uh, we say this phrase often, don't sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry. Don't sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry. And we are intentional about asking that. Hey, are we asking too much of you? Are you putting up some healthy boundaries? And this is both men and women. And so I've got some doers, man. I've got to pull the reins back. <laughs> so you need to slow down. You need to stop. You need to take a break. So we've got to have those times. So I want to make sure that, you know, with wisdom, don't put yourself in any compromising position. But you should intentionally invest in female staff if you're a male leader and vice versa. If you're a female leader, you should ask questions of your male staff and do it in a context of accountability. Don't ever put yourself in compromising positions that would cast any, any shadow of doubt. <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. So how do I structure some of the other meetings outside of spiritual emphasis? So I have different purposes for different meetings. And it also depends on how you function. So my level, so I'm an executive team member of a church. So we've got seven lead team guys. And every ministry of the church is tied back to one of those seven lead pastors. And so in my, in my area, I have spiritual formation, which would encompass men and women's ministry, men's and women's discipleship. It encompasses the life groups department, so everything we do for groups ministry from 18 and up. And then um, it encompasses my college and young adult department. So I have managers and ministers over all of those departments. I'll meet with them, and sometimes I'll meet with their entire team. So sometimes I meet just with Mike, my life groups pastor, and sometimes I meet with Mike, Lori, and Hamilton, the entire life groups department. I make myself available as needed for brainstorming and vision casting meetings. So this is them coming to my admin scheduling time with me for a stated purpose. Like, hey, I want him to help us think through an idea we have for the fall semester on whatever. You know, they put that on there. And that I know why it was scheduled is because they're trying to process an idea. They want me to speak into it. They want me to help shape it. Um, one is our weekly spiritual formation meeting that I call and I lead, and that's every single person on the spiritual formation team. This is not the ministers and managers team that we talked about earlier that's all this spiritual growth stuff. This is just my team, and this is where we focus on action steps. Hey, give me an update on what's going on with college and adults. Hey, quickly update the team on what happened with life groups. Did any new groups launch? That's one hour, and that always comes after the ministers and managers. So ministers and managers, Tuesdays at 9 a.m., 10 a.m. spiritual formation team meeting, and then we break for lunch. So in that weekly meeting is our typical, you know, updates, anything we need to know. Sometimes there's a component where we'll go a month, I give them a book, and we try to read one or two books a quarter, where I, I think through what books, I'm, I'm right now reading, I probably read 40 to 50 books a year right now. I filter through the books that I read and pick one every two months that I really want my team to read. And so right now, the one that they're going to read, I just bought it. It's going to be The Best Kept Secret of Christian Mission by John Dixon. You know, so I just finished reading 10 books in the last two months, and I picked one that I thought this would be the most helpful for my team. I'll have them read it, and then we'll schedule a day, like a half day, where I'll buy them lunch, we'll cater it in, and we'll just walk through that book. Hey, any insights? I gave you a month to read this one book. We're going to carve out two hours. I'm catering in lunch. And we're just going to walk through what are the takeaways from this book? How can it impact how you do ministry? So that's where I do some personal development, team development stuff. Once a quarter, we go do something fun as a team. And so we do the escape game in Nashville. has a bunch of those. But we'll go and eat lunch as a team and then spend the afternoon doing an escape game as a team. That just experiencing something together as a team builds friendships and unities and it goes back to Patrick Lencioni's concept a healthy team is a healthy organization so we do that and then we also do quarterly planning retreats so it's a one day offsite so mine's coming up next week no the week after November 4th um, where we're going to go to a community clubhouse we reserved we've got meals we've got tear sheets we're going to put up and every ministry is going to present their 2019 goals and every other ministry gets to speak into those goals. Are they strong enough? Are they, you know, are they smart goals is what we use. So, so that's, that's the cadence of our year. So quarterly off-site fun days, half days. Quarterly off-site planning. So we, we do everything in quarters. We measure everything in quarters. And the end of the year is our big one to set the tone for 2019. That's the one that's coming up. And when I do an off-site retreat, 
There's a spiritual component that sets the tone for the rest of the day. So here's a fun exercise. I did this at my last one. I loved it. I want to encourage you guys to do it. We picked one of the Gospels. We picked the Gospel of Luke. And we highlighted a word. And we searched through every scripture that dealt with this word and read that passage. So we highlighted the theme of prayer. And I gave them this topic. How to lead from your knees. As leaders, we lead oftentimes from our own strengths and not relying on God's strength. So we read through the entire Gospel of Luke, every single verse that dealt with the topic of prayer. And then we'd read the verse, give an insight, read the verse, give an insight. Two hours later, you can just see this presence in the room where everybody's just like, wow, prayer is a central theme to the life and ministry of Jesus. And then you turn that question on us. If somebody were to follow us 24-7, would they get to the same conclusion? Like, man, the reason Gus leads so well is because he spends so much time leading from his knees in prayer. Or would they say, yeah, prayer's not that important. If they were to follow you around, would they get to that same conclusion? So, you know, we'll do that before we get into the whole tear sheets and strategic planning. Because it's always got to be rooted in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So, different things like that that, that we do. The Word's got to be central. And then we always conclude with a special time of prayer. So even if we're planning 2019 and ideating, brainstorming, doing all the strategic planning stuff, there's got to be an intentional time where we're praying. Great question. So what are indicators that we're being influenced or not? How a person responds to the feedback, to me, is one of the greatest indicators. When a person automatically gets defensive and doesn't understand why you're giving them feedback, it's at that point I realize I haven't created a close enough relationship where they understand why I'm approaching them with constructive feedback. And the reason they shut down is possibly because they're afraid their identity is wrapped in their performance and not who they are in Christ. And so I've had some strong talks with a few of my staff members, one that's been there 15 years, another one that's been there almost 12 years. So they're my longest tenured staff people on my team. And they just had a hard time transitioning out of that. Like when I viewed them, I didn't view their success based on the number I saw on the weekend update. It was like I view them as an individual and I care for them just for who they are. I could still have ideas for why this event bombed or why this, but that's got nothing to do with who you are as a person. I need them to know that. And they don't know that if all we do is our weekly staff meeting where all we do is crunch data and look at a report. You know, so if, there's, if, if I don't have those one-on-ones and I'm just, hey, forget, forget about this event real quick. How are your kids? Like, didn't you just take one back to college? Like, what's that like? You know, and like, just processing that, like, okay, so you, you know, yeah, I mean, we'll get to that eventually, but like, dude, so you just dropped off your youngest daughter in college. What was that like? That's crazy. You know, you just start processing what's that empty nest feeling like. And so now all of a sudden they know that I care about them as an individual. And yes, I still care about ministry excellence and performance. We'll get to that. But I can't just jump to get to that and bypass who you are as a person made in God's image. I think for me, it stems from the doctrine of Imago Dei. If you truly believe every person is made in the image and likeness of God, it affects how you treat people. And so that's just foundational for all of life. We would talk differently about people we disagree with. We would talk differently about politics. We would talk differently about our staff if we rooted that in the theology of the Imago Dei. Every single person that serves on my team is made in the image and likeness of God. And they deserve dignity and respect. Doesn't matter what, what my position is. Doesn't matter what their position is. Everyone on my church staff deserves dignity and respect. Some of my favorite things hang out with some of our custodians and support staff that do campus maintenance. Those guys are awesome and hilarious. And I'll bring them into my office. Chubby, how's this guy's name is really Chubby. It's like on his license because I couldn't believe him. I was like, I felt bad. Everybody introduced him as Chubby. I was like, that's really your name? He's like, yeah, it's on my license. I was like, okay, because I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't say, hey, Chubby, what's up, man? He's like, no, no, it's my name. I was like, okay. <laughs> so Chubby, how's life? You know, how's, how's your wife doing? You know, and just process stuff like that. Sure, great question. So the question is, how do we handle some of the difficult things that come up that maybe require counseling? Would that be a good way of phrasing it? Yeah, and, keep and, and even pushing it further. Maybe it's a two-tier question yeah. of where you try to sure. One thing, you know, I want to get to the point where they're openly processing anything and everything. And I think what happens sometimes is we can't confess <laughs> our struggles and sins because we automatically think that that's going to disqualify us from serving on a church staff. And what I try to help my team realize is there's not a single person that serves on the staff that's immune to sin and temptation. Now, there are some things that completely wreck your ministry and can disqualify you. I'm not diminishing 
that at all. But I want to be able to have a dialogue where my people realize that just because I bear the title pastor doesn't mean that I'm immune to temptation and sin. So I've got to model mutual confession for them to really feel comfortable to, to process that with me. The second thing is we care so much about the spiritual and mental health of our staff that on Wednesdays, we have an outside Christian counselor that we bring to the office and pay him to just provide open slots for anyone on our staff to schedule a private meeting with him to just process anything that's going on. And we have seen that pay huge dividends. We've done that for two years now. So on Wednesdays, Ralph comes onto our campus and he gives us about a four hour block. And we send out an email on Monday, Ralph's gonna be here Wednesday. If you would like to schedule an appointment with Ralph, email this person, schedule it. It's gonna take place on this part of our campus for privacy and you just have a counselor that we pay for and you just have to make the appointment and speak to this counselor. And man, I've had handwritten notes from staff members who've told me thank you for providing that because it helped them process something they needed to talk to someone. So if it didn't already happen through our relational connection and friendships, at least we provided a professional counselor that came on staff to just provide soul care and spiritual mental health for our people. Ralph's been a huge blessing to our team. So we have our own counseling department, but it just was that thing where like some people just didn't want to go talk to somebody they see in all their staff meetings about something that they're processing with a family member. But having an outside person come into our offices and set up shop for a few hours has been beneficial. Well worth it from a monetary standpoint for us. Yeah, so earlier when we were saying establishing a discipleship culture, step one, you do it with your staff. Then step two is you encourage them, all right, you see what we're doing here? How are you guys doing this for your core teams and volunteers? Or are you doing it? And they're like, some are like, man, I haven't done it. Or some started saying, man, I enjoyed this so much, I started restructuring my volunteer meetings to bring in some of this stuff. And then when we asked them to launch discipleship groups, we told them start with some of your key volunteers because those are your influencers, your movers and shakers. Influence the influencers is the term that we use to get the movement going. Yeah, we ask questions. So in those weekly meetings, man, tell me how's it going? You know, are you exhibiting these behaviors? Give me examples. And so we ask questions. Great question. So the question is, how do you handle when someone's not meeting expectations or performing? Uh, so we have quarterly evaluations that we do with each staff member. And that's where we have to tell our teams, especially our managers, if you're not honest in these, later on when something else happens and you need to make a move, you've got nothing to support your decision. And you also didn't help set your team member up for success because you didn't provide them any constructive help to change. Something you noted was not meeting your expectations. So quarterly, like I'll, I'll be honest, I've got you know, a team member I'm about to meet with next week where does really well in three areas, but in one area is lacking. But I've taken notes and I keep a file where I say, hey, this needs to be adjusted, this needs to be, and I have real life examples. So I don't ever say, you know, you're really struggling with this and then have no examples to provide them. That's like the worst thing for an employee who's like hearing feedback, but you've got no example of how I'm not meeting that expectation. You just feel like I'm not meeting that expectation. That's the worst place to be. So like documented, notice this was dropped, this person didn't get followed up with, blah, blah, blah. And say, like, hey man, I don't know what's going on in your life. And then sometimes performance can uncover another issue. And performance slipped because they've been processing a life-altering situation that they haven't talked to anyone about. And that's happened to me. But because I had that consistent meeting with them, I was able to point something out that I noticed, which led to uncovering something that needed to be addressed from a spiritual perspective. So I would say honesty is the best policy in that. So I honestly don't tell them they're knocking it out of the park unless they're knocking it out of the park. That doesn't mean I don't love them, because remember, Everything I'm saying now is filtered through that relational lens. I spend so much time with them to show them that I love them as an individual, that I care for them. I'm inviting them to my house to eat with me and hang out with my family. So when I say, hey, I love you, you know that I do. But hey, when we say that we're gonna do this and we don't come through with this, it doesn't look good for it and you could just go through this whole thing. I'm gonna need you to try to work on this. So one staff member is struggling with organizational skills. So I'm putting a personal improvement plan together for him to get better at organizational skills. One person last year struggled with verbally communicating his vision, brilliant in the office, comes up with great plans. You, I would go listen to him pitch the idea to his volunteers like, oh gosh, okay. And that's why that plan's not getting done. All right, so I love you. You have the great heart, the great mind. 
communication is your big deal. If you can't take your ideas and wrap them in an effective manner to move people, it's not going to do anything. And so gave him Talk Like Ted, a book from all the greatest TED Talk speakers on how nine effective ways of communicating. And he read through it. And now when I hear him do a training seminar, I'm like, jeez. But he has feedback. Like I went to it, listened to it, and then scheduled the meeting. Hey, good job last night. Things to work on. Things to keep. Yeah. Feedback culture. Sure. Um, my main responsibility is leading through that team. But that's also because that's the leadership structure that I adopted. So instead of me feeling the weight and pressure of being the life groups pastor and being the discipleship pastor, I've equipped and empowered my people to lead those ministries. I'm very much involved, right? So going back to this, I don't want to be a distant leader. So as far as control, like I have shaped our entire life group structure but I've empowered Mike to own it and implement it. Which even means that as much as like I would love to be the main trainer at those things, I'm not most of the times. I let him own it so that people see them. When we first started shifting our culture for life groups and people didn't want to listen to the instruction, a lot of times they'd like to bypass him to go to the leadership team and I would point them right back to Mike and say, well, what did, what did Mike say about that change that was happening? And they'd give me their, yeah, that's, I agree with him. He's absolutely right and support my team member. Um, when somebody has a complaint and wants to have a meeting, my first question is, have you met with Mike yet? And they said, no, I don't want to talk to him. I want to talk to you. He's like, well, Mike's the pastor of that area, so we're not having this meeting unless he's there. And then when we have that meeting, he does all the talking. I'm just there for moral support. And they think they're going to get their way just because they got a leadership team pastor to sit there. And I was like, so Mike, what do you think about this situation? That's a great insight. That's exactly that. Yeah, I, I agree with Mike. Yeah, that's what we're doing. You know, I came up with the vision and mission and strategy with him. I need the church to see that he owns it and that he's the authority for life groups, that they can't just leapfrog him to the next guy, you know. And you were really involved for the Oh, yeah. Because remember all those meetings like vision, ideating, like casting direction. I'm involved, but I don't want to get into the weeds where I, you know, take away their authority and influence by just leapfrogging them to be the face in, of the ministry. So I like to lead through my teams so that they can own it. I feel good sometimes when I can walk into a room and they don't even know what I do, which has happened sometimes. We have a church of 6,500. That can happen. So I'll show up to an event and somebody's like, when I first got there, it was hilarious. Mike is leading this training in this event. So everybody knows who Mike is. Like, hey, so what do you do around here? Is Mike your boss? I was like, yeah, man, Mike's awesome. He does such a good job. You know, it's just funny. But like, no, I'm technically Mike's boss. I don't feel compelled to have to say that. I was like, man, I think we have one of the best life groups pastors. I'm grateful that I get to serve with Mike. I always introduce myself. Hey, my name's Gus. I have the privilege of serving with Mike. I'm like, hey, I'm Mike's boss. Doesn't matter. I serve with Mike. There was a question back there. All right. Well, I think that's it. Or do we have more time? Okay, we have nine minutes. Any other questions? If you need to leave, go for it. If you want to keep asking questions, I can do this all day. Yeah, yeah great question. Yeah, you brought up Simple Church, Eric Geiger and Rainer. That book was very uh, foundational for how we do a lot of stuff. It talks about clarity, movement, alignment, focus. Um, so we did simplify and did remove a lot of those things. But some of those things are what we call affinity groups or relational and expressions of mission. And so we say, by all means, join a mountain biking club. We're just not going to promote the mountain biking club as a ministry of the church. That's you changing the world in your community by taking what you've learned in the gospel and applying it to your daily life. So we've removed a lot of those supplemental side area ministries. And so we keep everything to be, we want people to know God in a large group gathering, worship. We want people to find community in one of our life groups. Now, what we do in life groups is we have church-wide life groups, but we also provide avenues for CR, for example. Like if somebody's a recovering addict and they need CR, CR, next step study, is their life group for that season of them pursuing health. And so we don't say, well, do a CR, next step study, and join a life group. It's like, no, no, this is where you're finding community right now in CR, and it's helping you for your stage in life. Let's not rewrite the, you know, the whole thing, just... Do this right now for this season. And then when they graduate out of CR, they, they move into a normal life group. And then D groups is what we make disciples in a discipleship group. And then change the world is volunteering, serving, and missions. 
We have a, a Long Hollow Institute on Wednesday nights, and so you can sign up to take seminary-style classes on or Wednesday nights. No, I used to. I took on our campuses. We're, we're doing like multi-siting, so I'm overseeing that now. And so I gave the institute to Tim LaFleur, who's our equipping pastor, who oversees member care and membership matters stuff. And so we offer those on Wednesday nights. So we got rid of like the big Wednesday night, like just, no. So most of our, most of our life groups are off campus throughout the week at different times. So we would say that the LHI is an above and beyond, does not replace life groups. So yeah, new believers get put through our next steps process and there's a four week where they meet with somebody from the member care team to walk through their new, new faith in Christ. It's something that Tim LaFleur put together and then the member care team walks them through that your new life in Christ, and then helps them assimilate into a life group. So member care and life groups work together. And member care team does our, our membership matters class. So once a month, anyone who's interested in joining Long Hollow can attend that on a Sunday morning. It's offered during the morning services times. And it gets out in time for them to catch the last service. And every person who goes through membership matters gets interviewed by one of the deacons to hear their story of salvation and affirm their faith in Jesus Christ and to confirm they've been baptized. And then from there, they help them assimilate into a life group. So if they get through membership matters and they're not in a life group, my team takes over and helps them find community. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. Have you signed up for the next National Disciple Making Forum? Every year, disciple makers from across the country and around the world gather together in one place to learn disciple making. Save your seat and register now. You can find a registration link at discipleship.org. At checkout, use promo code PODCAST to get 20% off your tickets. In addition to this podcast, you'll find many other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.